uh, well, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Be Brownback. Today, we're very excited to have Bilal Ahmed and Chris Nunn, as they're going to talk about HCX, as you can see in their, in the, in their presentation title. Uh, and well, let's move on to <clears throat> our guest, as you can see, Bilal and, and Chris. If you want to engage in the conversation, uh, I'll be checking the Be Brownback account and also the hashtag Be Brownback. We usually run these shows at Tuesday, as today, <clears throat> 7 p.m. British uh, summer time or 8 p.m. at uh, uh, Central European summer time. So uh, I'm Dan Belmonte. You can follow me on, at Dan Gaiden and you can follow uh, Bilal <clears throat> at this fantastic uh, <laughs> Has a tree handle and Crescent and old transformer. So, guys, uh, whoever has the live demo, uh, you can start to share your screen. Okay. Uh, and if you want to present I'll yourself, start. you are absolutely. <clears throat> we can all see that. Yes. Fantastic then. So, guys, welcome today and joining our presentation from. Zero to Hero with VMware HCX. Now, our hope is that you're coming in with very limited knowledge about it and you're going to leave enough to be incredibly dangerous with it, right? So, as we move on, we're going to go through basic introductions about ourselves. You probably know us from Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff already, but if not, you'll know us by the end of this. We're going to go over, you know, what is HCX, its use cases, what it's made up of, because it's made up of quite a few pieces, and then we're going to risk being a live demo. Okay, a bit about me. I like wearing kilts, clearly. Uh, I work for VMware. Been at PSO now for about a year. I'm VCDX number 251. That's right, Chris Noon. And I've been at VX for a few years now. I would say that if you need to know anything about me, really, I'm a big Batman fan. I'm a big Nando's fan. And my favorite color is orange. So if you get any of them right, I'm to a winner. You can find me on Twitter at that handle, and I blog. Are the Musketeers. So my name's Chris Noon. I work at Clarinet in the UK. I'm the network technical lead. I focus mainly on SDN and NFV technologies. I'm not a V expert, as Bilal mentioned. Uh, sorry, I'm not a VCDX, as Bilal mentioned. I am a first-time V expert, thanks to Bilal and his mentorship. That would be the only nice thing I say about you. I like basketball, whether that be playing or watching. That's a, a big thing for me. So anyone out looking for basketball chat, I'm there. My Twitter handle is there. And I also blog on, blog on themusketeers.com. So you can catch a couple of articles of my own, a couple of Bilal's, and we do a couple of joint ones surrounding HCX. So now let's jump into it. What is HCX? First and foremost, it's a VMware product. It's been around for about two or three years now. And the thing you'll probably most know, most likely know about HCX is that it's a migration platform, typically migrating that legacy DC into cloud, specifically VMC on AWS. It does have some other use cases that have come around after about a year of conception, and that's migrating between DCs. So we talk about that in a little bit, but migrating from that legacy data center to new data centers is also a use case for HCX. It does all of this with minimal disruption and maximum flexibility. And that's why me and Bilal really like this product. So as I said, the application. Like... No, no, not at all. I'm still waiting for my swag though. So 
the application for HCX, uh, as I said, was that data center to cloud, that data center to VMC on AWS. That's the main uh, use case you'll see marketed. That's the, the story um, behind a lot of the HCX marketing. But there is a great use case in data center to data center. So I worked for Clarinet and one of our projects was migrating from a legacy data center over to that new data center that we call Clarinet Cloud. And we used HCX for some of those migrations because of the, the flexibility that HCX provides. And we also are looking at it for VMC migrations now. So we kind of use both sides of that story. I know Bilal, um, working for VMware, has a slightly different experience, so I'll let him carry on. Uh, cheers for that, Chris. Yeah, so my experiences have been quite a bit different to Chris's with the use cases for HCX. I found that customers are buying into the whole VCF platform on their own private clouds, and they get HCX bundled with that. HCX used to be just a VMC tool exclusively for that. And VMware realized that it's actually a really good tool for getting people off legacy platforms where they've got a lot of technical debt. We all know the platforms where you've had uh, ESX 5, 5, and 6, and they've been there for three years now, and then you've got to pay your support renewals and it becomes super expensive, but you're in a bit of a bind. Either you pay it or how do you exit quickly, right? HCX gives you that flexibility. And if you sign into the whole VCF, where all the updates and everything are managed for you as well, it kind of, you can get there quicker, a lot easier, and you can be very methodical about it. And it takes the craziness away from it. And sometimes you've got all that technical debt, people leave and people don't know what to do with it anymore. And so you just got that flexibility. There are a few other things as well. It has a basic disaster recovery piece. So if you've got basic disaster recovery requirements, HCX can do that for you as well. It's by no means a replacement for SRM. SRM has a lot more features under the hood and does a lot more things that uh, HCX doesn't do. But if you just got basic VI requirements, it might be something that fits your bill. So exactly, um, there's a lot of products out there and you're not all products are fit for everything. So make sure HCX fits, fits your use case. But it is, a, it is a pretty cool tool as we'll go on to show. So what makes up HCX? Uh, first of all, it starts with the HCX manager. You'll need a manager at both sides. So we'll look at the uh, legacy data center, which we'll call the connector side. And then we'll look at the cloud side, which is aptly named cloud. You'll need a manager at both sides. And then underneath that manager, you have a service mesh. And this consists of three appliances, an interconnect appliance, a layer two appliance, and a WAN optimizer. We jump into what each one of those do now. It's important to note that the interconnect appliance is the mandatory appliance in that service mesh. The other two are optional, but the layer two extension is deployed, I would say, most of the time in that service mesh. So when we look deeper at the service mesh, I mentioned we have that connector side from the HCX manager, and that typically sits on your legacy data center. And you have the cloud manager, which sits on your destination data center or within VMC on AWS. Within that service mesh, you have the interconnect appliance, which is the mandatory appliance to be deployed, and that has the hybrid interconnect service. It then works as your vMotion migration service and your bulk migration service. So you can imagine that that appliance just taps into the already existing vMotion technology and the vReplication for bulk migration technology. And as Bilal mentioned, it does has, have basic disaster recovery um, options there. 
you have the WAN optimizer, and we'll go on to why we see this as more of an optional piece. What that does is reduce the amount of traffic that you send between site to site. You can do some rate limiting, which will allow covers later, and you can also reduce the amount of traffic by using um, compression. The layer two extension appliance is fairly self-explanatory. What it will do is it will extend a port group on a VDS in the connector side, the, the legacy data center, and extend that onto a VNI in NSXV or a segment in NSXT on the cloud side. So looking at the service mesh resource requirements, we have the HCX manager and the IX appliance with the mandatory, and you can already see that vCPU and that memory really starting to climb. The network extension appliance is fairly large, fairly high on the vCPU standpoint, and then that, that one optimizer really uh, takes most of the, the grunt with eight CPU and 14 gig of memory. This is why we see it more of a optional appliance because what you'll find is when people are trying to leave like legacy data centers they might not have all this resource to to go throwing about so maybe you'll only end up with an ix and a network appliance so it's interesting to it's interesting to see which ones you would like to apply and which ones you want to apply in each of the areas yeah it's quite interesting from that point of view as in in a home lab situation i couldn't deploy any of these on my nooks because this CPU requirements, I couldn't meet them. And you can't manually change them either. If you try to change them, the services will not start. The services are hard-coded to those configurations. So that's something you have to bear in mind. As you can see, the one optimizer has higher disk space usage and an IOPS requirement and uses more RAM. Because remember, it's doing a lot of dedupe and compression before it sends it out the one link, right? So you've got to weigh up the pros and cons and test it to see if it's actually worthwhile for you. If your legacy site is quite uh, overutilized, having it is going to be a bigger constraint. And if your storage is a bottleneck as well, you're not really going to be saving yourself that much. So I see a lot of customers that just forego it completely because um, it's just they'd rather just send more data across the link and they'll take that for what it is. Yeah, exactly. So when I was building out my home lab, which I use for HCX work, Bilal helped me build that out. And one of the reasons I I bought what I bought was to cater for HCX and those vCPU requirements. So when you're looking at deploying HCX on site, you have to take a few things into consideration. And one of the things is it's very much like NSXV where you have that HCX manager per vCenter relationship. So that's one to one. And then within the service mesh, you have all those appliances and, and you need those resources we look at the IX as well, the IX is the mandatory, and then you have the two optional components. But depending on what resources you have and depending on your need, you might deploy it slightly differently. The appliances have a one-to-one -one relationship with a VDS. So the network extension connects to a VDS at the source and or destination. So there are some design considerations which we'd like to cover in a later vBrownBag session about how best to go about designing it in specific scenarios. But there's something to be said about that relationship between the extension and the VDSs. It does support bulk migration, but it needs VMware Hardware 7, which is four or five, I believe. And mm -hmm. vMotion migration requires version nine, which I believe is ESXi 5.1 or 5.5. I think it's 5.5. Uh, it does have a 100 VM migration limit when you're bulk migrating. Uh, this can be increased to 200 with a use case 
when you open up a GSS ticket. So that's more of a soft limit than a hard limit. HTX vMotion, uh, which is covered by Bilal in the live demo, is really useful. It, it has that vMotion technology where there's zero packet loss. I mean, you might lose a ping, but it is across sites. So I feel that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good outcome. But it is only one at a time. You can queue multiple, but it will handle handle those VMs one at a time. So it does does become quite slow. Something that's very cool about HCX is the the release cycle. So approximately every two weeks, you get bugs, bug fixes or, or new features or something's released within the software and you can update the managers and the appliances. Obviously, this is really cool because you get those new features and those bug fixes. Although Bilal and I have to admit, it's quite hard keeping up with with all those all those changes uh, every two weeks. Yeah, it does get quite difficult. I mean, it has its pros and cons. It's one of the few VMware products that it has such an aggressive update cycle. I found a bug, discussed it with engineering, and the next release cycle, it was fixed, right? But then also, because it do updates at such an aggressive schedule, you've got to make sure you stay within supported uh, uh, version. And the way that it comes out every two weeks, you've got about two months before you're unsupported, right? So you can be about three plus one versions behind, at which point you become unsupported and GSS will really be able to help you. And if you even let it lapse even further than that, eventually they'll turn around and disable HCX remotely so you can't use it anymore as well. So those are type of key things that you have to bear in mind. Also, the HCX vMotion one at a time limit is per service mesh. So you can deploy multiple service meshes and that's one of the many design considerations you have to take in, into account. And that's quite a complex topic. We'll talk a bit more uh, in a further presentation. But there are ways and means you can go about speeding up migrations and mixing and matching to best fit your requirements. Yep. And then Bilal will take us for a live demo now. I know, fantastic. Because I did the last one. Yeah, you did. Do you want to tell them what happened to you, Bilal? No, so something with some upgrade issues. I'm not going to mention it. Yeah, okay. Right. So. Here's my lab. This is my, what we class as the legacy side. It's just running a few, as you can see, I'm a Batman fan. I've got Arkham Asylum, vSAN, uh, 3Node Nook, and then I've got a bunch of other VMs and everything running in there, right? These are my two test VMs here, 10.10.70.2 and 10.10.70.3, and they're pinging at the moment, right? And this is my nested NSXT lab. This is where the cloud manager is. I've got some nested hosts here, and these are my network appliances. The service mesh consists of appliances at either side, right? So they have sister appliances at either side, so you'll see here and here, right? And then I thought I'd go through you know, the HCX manager in a bit of detail because people don't seem to talk about it that much, right? So every HCX manager has a management interface, so the FQDN on port 9443, that will get you in. So let's see if I can get this right first time. Will it work? No. So a lot of this configuration will be done when you deploy the OVA. When you're deploying HCX fresh, you deploy the cloud side first. Once that's configured and up and running and paired with vCenter and NSX and everything, because NSX is mandatory for the cloud side. It's optional, as you can see here. There's nothing in this box here for NSX because it's not used, right? You can have it there, 
And vCenter, you're talking about vCenter is an SSO as well. So HCX works from vSphere 5.1 and onwards. So basically when they introduce the SSO, right? And then it works, pull migration will work down to ESXi 5.0. And as Chris mentioned, uh, vMotion, you need ESXi 5.5 and above for it to work. So you go to the appliance summary, you can find all the bits and bobs that you need, the services, if you want SSH in to do any config changes or work with GSS, you can do that as well. Configuration, licensing, I'm just using my vExpert license. Here's a username that I use to log in, because HCX requires admin, a service account that's administrator level privileges in the vCenter it's working in. Because think about all the stuff that it does, right? It does. It creates networks, destroys networks, creates VMs, destroys VMs, moves VMs, edits VM configuration files. It does all that kind of stuff, and it just needs full administrator access. Raw mappings are an interesting one. Even though you give a service account for it to give access to, you can also have a, a vSphere.local group or an AD group in the SSO that you give permission for them to access HCX and log into HCX. So they don't need admin access into the vCenter, but if you put that group in here, they have admin access into HCX and use HCX. And then HCX will do all of its heavy lifting with its service account that you provided. Now the data center location can be any, anywhere that you want, really. I put it in my hometown, but you could put it in Antarctica. It doesn't actually make any difference. From an administration point of view, this is pretty much all the stuff that you would do when you deploy it out. In case you've got a web proxy, the customer might have proxies for internet access, that's where you do it. Backup and restore. Now, standard VMware, standard backups, snapshot style backups are not supported for HCX. So whatever backup provider you use, you can't use them, it's not supported. The only time you can use a snapshot is for upgrading purposes. And you have to take a backup. You can take a local backup or you can provide an FTP or SFTP server, kind of like NSX, where you can have the backups go to. And when you restore a backup, they only can be restored to the same build version that the backup was taken from. So all pretty standard stuff there, right? So that's a manager in a nutshell, and it's exactly the same for the cloud manager too, right? So we're in the HCX management interface. We've been done that. Now we're in the main hybrid, hybridity interface, it's called. And this is where you go through and actually do your migrations. As you can see, I have one migration schedule, which is a boat migration, and I'll go into that some more. So the interconnect is essentially a service mesh, right? And the key things that make up a service mesh. The first thing you're probably gonna to want to create is a network profile. This is where you tell HCX and its IX appliance and network appliances what it can use for management, what it can use for vMotion and all that type of stuff. In my lab, my vMotion and management and vSphere replication all go across the same VLAN, so it doesn't matter. So that's why I've only got one here. But in a more commercial environment, I'd have one for management, I'd have one for vMotion. Because remember, vMotion traditionally is not a rootable network, it doesn't have a gateway. So you have to give HCX a valid IP in that range so it can patch, the IX appliance can patch in to that vMotion port group so then it can get the vMotion flow and then transfer it across its one uplink, right? So as you can see here, creating network profiles is quite easy. Give it your IP range, prefix, gateway, all that type of stuff. Give it a name and what port group it's going to use. And then after you've created that, you're going to create a compute profile. 
this is where you tell HTX what service cluster is, is, it is using. So the service cluster is what are the clusters that HTX will be migrating VMs from. So where the VMs reside, that's going to do its dirty work with. And then you've got a deployment cluster. Is That's where you're telling HTX where it can deploy its appliances to. Generally, they're one and the same thing. But there are some customers out there that say, all my appliances, all the appliances need to go in the management cluster and I'll make sure routing is available so that they can reach the other ESXi hosts. So here you pick all the services that you want to enable. If you pay for the more fancy enterprise level licensing, you get better SRM integration. You could do the new OS assistive migration where it deploys an agent out into the OS and then converts it that way into a VM. And replicated assisted vMotion is kind of takes the best of bulk and vSphere replication, uh, bulk and vMotion, and merges them together. So here's my resource cluster. For me, it's one and the same thing. It's my uh, data center. And then my resource cluster for deployment is the same thing as well. As you can see here, they're one and the same thing, but they can be different. One of the new features is they allow you to give reservations now because HTX appliances, when they're doing a lot of work, need a lot of resource. And if you complain about performance, probably the first thing you're gonna say is you're gonna to have to reserve those resources, right? Now, management network profile. This is where I'm saying all the appliances that you deploy, they're gonna need these IPs in the management network. I've got two IPs free and they're used currently, as you can see here. As you go through, it builds up a diagram to try and show you how it does things. Okay. So in a production, sorry, in a production environment, you might see this slightly differently constructed where you'll have an, uh, an uplink uh, vMotion and a management uh, link displayed there. Absolutely. So the uplink one's important because a lot of customers, when they're going across the one, their bandwidth isn't that great, right? And they don't want normal traffic routed across there. They just want the replication traffic routed across there. So this is where you tell HCX what that network is, what fault group it is. So you create that network profile, you then put it in here, and it'll use an IP from there for the IX and the layer two appliance as well. And for me, my vMotion runs across my management, so that's why it's using the management uh, network profile, but you could have a separate networking one as well. Vsphere replication by default goes out of the management network, so that's what we use unless you specify otherwise. And since I only have one distributed switch, that's all nice picked there. And it's gonna when I deploy L2, that's what it's gonna go into. And now the great really good thing here is that the ports are so important. Nearly all the deployments that myself and Chris have seen have issues with uh, ports. So all the ports are here, so you can go away to your networking team and firewalling team and tell them exactly what you need. Right. And that's it really, that's how you deploy, that's how you get your compute profile. Now once you have those two things, then you can create your service mesh. So the network profile and compute profile are local to that HTX manager and that vCenter, so you've got to do it on both sides, right? And when you create a service mesh, you're gonna start pulling all those things together. So here, I've told it what the destination HTX manager is going to be. I've said, this is my compute profile here. This is my compute profile at the destination, which is NSXT, as I showed you. What services I want this profile to use, the service mesh to use. You can pick and choose as you want. And these are adjustable later as well. 
you know, uplink profile, it'll use the defaults that you provide in your compute profile, but you can override if you have some exceptions for that. Maybe you've got a different one uplink that you want to use for this. You know, so this is where you define that. But in general, people keep it the same. Now, interesting thing here, you can have more than one network extension appliance deployed. And this is where you say that. So each network extension appliance on average can do about three or four gig worth of traffic across its layer two link that it creates. But some people, that might not be enough. So what you can do, you can deploy more than once. You can have VLAN 10 and 20 on appliance A and VLAN 13 and 40 on appliance B. But remember, even though you do that, there's no HA or fail over there. If that appliance fails, you lose the, the, the connectivity there, right? It's more for like load distribution, if anything. So bear that in mind. I've never had to deploy more than one because most customers only deploy, only stretch one network at a time. And in general, they're not pushing that much bandwidth across their layer two domain. And this is more your, your fancy stuff that you have the more enterprise licensing. But if you deploy a one optimizer, one of the cool things is, is that you can tell it how big your link is, right? And then you can tell it to rate limit to make sure that it doesn't push more traffic across it than you want it to allow. Because there's going to be other traffic using that link as well, right? So that's where the, that's one of the cool perks about the one optimizer. And if you need to rate limit, you're going to have to deploy a one optimizer. So if you've got 500 meg link, you could set it to 400 meg, and HCX would never use that service mesh would never use more than that. And that's it, you review your topology. If you're happy with it, click continue, give it a name and you click finish. And then it'll go ahead and deploy it. All these dots will hopefully go green, telling you all the services are online and all the tunnels are up. You can go and look at the appliances. You can see the tunnel is up. It gives you some details there. You can look at the system appliances as well. And then the tasks as well, you can actually see what it goes through, right? It deploys all the appliances out. So it gives you a good idea of what it's doing. And sometimes you'll get an odd error. It'll tell you the IP in the pool that was in use. You go away, fix that, and then redeploy it again. So now that I've been through that, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other bits as well, right? Uh, before you before you jump on, could you just go through the network extension? One of the questions in the chat was about extending uh, port groups to segments. Oh, yeah, okay. So from a base point of view, what you do is when you want to extend a network, you go here, you pick the you pick the one that you want to stretch. It has to be on a distributed switch. Select the appliance. I've got one here. And then here is where you put your gateway and what subnet it is. And then really, you pick your, I've got NSXT at my destination, you pick your T1. And then you click extend and that's it really. Now, normally you'd have the option to do some proximity routing, but NSXT does not support proximity routing at this moment in time. That's probably going to change in the future at the moment. It doesn't, so it won't allow you to do it. But this gateway here is essentially the gateway at the source. And while the extension's up, the NSX gateway is offline. And then when you destroy the, the stretch, you have the option to migrate the gateway to the cloud. So you're going to have a soft outage there where the gateway is disabled at the source and the pings will drop, and then the NSX will then bring it online, and the pings will come back as long as all the routing and everything is in place correctly. Yeah, so one thing to notice here that was part of the question is, Bilal hasn't got any network extensions here. So while the network extension is an added feature to HCX, which 
obviously extends that broadcast domain from site to site. So you can have half your workloads in one and half your workloads in the other. It's not a requirement. So you can still migrate VMs back and forth. Obviously, they just can't communicate without that extension in place. Yeah, absolutely. I work with a lot of customers that they've, they've taken the NSX piece and they want to use it, but it takes time to set it up and configure it, but they need to exit their legacy environment as quickly as possible. So what they do, they make those VLANs available at the destination and they use HCX to migrate them across. And then as a post task further down the line when NSX is running, they'll then migrate those VMs into NSX. And then they'll do that for their core ones. And then when NSX is running, then they'll start stretching the networks and then start migrating stuff across as well. So you can use it in more of a two-pronged approach, right? To help relieve load and exit certain data centers quicker than others. So now that you've seen all that, let's go to the actual nitty gritty and migration piece, right? So as you can see here, I've been doing a bunch of testing and migrations here. I've already synced a bulk migration as well because that takes a little bit of time in the background. I thought I'd go very Peter style. If you're from the UK, you'll know what I mean. Here's one I prepared earlier, right? So you click migrate. And this, now the connector at the legacy side is where you handle all your migrations, where you do all your configurations. Even if you want to do a reverse migration from the cloud, you still do it from this appliance, right? The cloud appliance is there just as a configuration piece and everything's automated from a configuration point of view, right? So everything you pick in the green box cascades through to any VM that you're working on, right? So for me, let's say I want to migrate to this host here. My storage, you can even pick your storage policies. I'm going to pick that data store there. I'm going to thin provision. Migration profile, this is where you pick your bulk or your vMotion. If I was to pick bulk, you also have the option to do a switchover window. So you can have it syncing a week before your migration event and then say on Sunday at 12 a.m. I want it to cut over. Normally what I tell customers to do is that if you want to cut over on a Sunday, set this window here initially to a Monday or a Tuesday after that event so that it's going to keep syncing. And then when you're ready to do the cut over, you manually go in and say cut them over now. But for this one, we're going to do a vMotion. The switch over, you can remove snapshots and force command of ISOs. It's going to retain the Mac. And now I click my VM. All this stuff's going to auto-populate because I did it at the top. And then here, I've got this network here, and I'm going to say, I want you to dump it in my distributed switch at the destination. Boom. Right? Then you click validate, which is actually a new feature before I just go. And then once it's validated, you click go. Right, so it's going to start doing that. And while it's doing that, as you can see here, it's scheduled for tomorrow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reschedule this switchover. I'm going to say ignore the failover window and just get over as quickly as possible, right? Apply that. And as you can see there, it's going to start doing that. And you'll see a little task going on in the background in the vCenters if you watch, which I'll screen between and show you as well. And one thing to bear in mind as well is that while that's happening, System updates, they'll auto-propagate here, but you can manually check as well. And one very interesting thing is that you can pull the logs here yourself and send them to GSS, but there's also an auto-approve. This is on by default, and this allows GSS and engineering to automatically pull logs remotely as well. What they will ask you for is your system ID. This is unique to every HCF manager. So when you give them this, they can then come in and pull the logs if need be. 
Now, if you work in quite a secure environment, this is on by default, so make sure you go in and disable it, right? Because some, I mean, you might have some requirements where you know all login has to be passed before it can be sent out, etc. So as you can see, the switchover started for my CentOS VM, and this one is about to cut over now. As you can see here, look. So this host here, when you create a service mesh with vMotion enabled, HCS creates a dummy ESXi host at the source and the destination. And this is what acts as a proxy and convinces the other ESXi hosts that it's a valid source for a vMotion migration. As you can see here, it says VMware Mobility Platform. It has 128 logical cores and eight NICs. Yeah, we don't believe that, right? But this is where, it's, this is where it sends a VM initially. As you can see, not much going on. You get a standard migration task, and eventually what will happen is that VM will then get migrated into my normal cluster, and it will come online. And you should see very few pings drop off while that's happening, right? And then also you will see the bulk migration will slowly but surely start. The whole process of bulk migration, the spin up and the spin down, is a bit slow. Right? But remember, you, you're doing it for one VM, you probably don't see the point, but when you need to do 100 of them, once you tell it to go, it'll just start powering them down, sinking them, powering them back on as quickly as possible. So in 15 minutes, you could have had all those 100 VMs over, right? And that's this party piece there. While vMotion, you've got to do one and then wait, and then another and wait, another and wait. And that's kind of the problem there. So you, I find customers, I don't know about yourself, Chris, I find customers predominantly will go with bulk migration and then use vMotion for their heavy hitters that they don't want, to, don't want any downtime for. But saying that, I have a customer at the moment that wants to vMotion everything. They don't know the app owners, they don't want to talk to any app owners, they just want to get out of the legacy. They have a bit of time where they can do the vMotion approach, and the fact that they don't have to go to any of the app owners is a huge selling point for HCX, and they're just happy to do it that way. Which has been a very interesting use case from my point of view. Yeah, I think we're on the same. Um, <clears throat> for the most part, we try and push that bulk migration if if apps can take a little bit of downtime, most of the time they're redundant apps, but there are some heavy hitters and no downtime VMs that use the vMotion. Just okay. obviously takes uh, takes a lot longer with that one at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And think about it from a book migration point of view, you can configure them all to be replicating in the background. You can say, okay, I just want my web VMs to fail over now. So you cut them over first, and then when you're happy there, then cut over the next set. So you don't have to cut over all 100 in one go. Now I'm thinking and just cut over a subset of them at a time. Okay, so I've just seen a question from Mike. Yes, it does. There is an option to change the IP without SRM integration. Uh, so if you go here, I'm just going to show you quickly. All right, so when you pick a VM, so let's see, I've got this one here, right? It's my DC. I really don't want to move that. That's a bad idea, right? If you see here, you've got the IP address you can change to. And this uh, uses a VMware tool, so VMware tools is mandatory there, yeah? Right? I haven't tried to script this. I don't know if you can script this piece, right? but you can definitely do it in the, the graphical interface. So as you can see here, the vMotion is finished. And what pings? Pings are still there, right? But the, the bulk migration is still going. Ooh, we've lost the ping. Which one is that? That's my bulk migration one going through now, right? As you can see here, it's powered it off. Right, gone through, initiated a shutdown. 
and it's slowly going to start bringing it up at the other side, bit by bit. We just got to sit and wait for it to do it, right? And remember, normally you'll be doing this. Sorry, I think what's really cool here is the um, the dummy host that the IX creates. Yeah, down here. It's a bit of a proxy. It only uses it for the vMotion piece. Right? And if you've got multiple service meshes, you'll have multiple ones of them as well. So slowly but surely, it's going to start doing his thing. And then we live and pray with the demo gods that it works exactly as we hope. That I've tested so many times. So you replicate power off virtual machine. You can see it's doing little, little things and going through his base. And the vMotion, what it does, obviously with the vMotion, the VM disappears from the source inventory and then reappears in the destination inventory. With a bulk migration, what you'll find is the VM's powered off at the destination. It's given a unique Unix code timestamp, so you know exactly when it was migrated, but the VM remains behind, which has its pros and cons, because it takes up space at the destination. But if you're not, not worried about space, that's fine. And then on top of that, if you need to roll back quickly, you can just attach that legacy VM back onto the network and power it back on and you're up and running again quite quickly without having to configure a reverse replication, right? So that's a bonus there. And as you can see, it's starting to come back online. And I'm hoping the pings will come back shortly as the VM boots up. Obviously it does it in a crash consistent state. As well, if you can't do an OS assisted shutdown, it will actually do a forced power off of the VM. You have the option to tell it not to force power off and it'll just fail the migration then if it can't do it. It's one of the perks having VMware tools in there. And once that's done, there you go, the pings have come back, right? Just like that. Okay, so while we've got a couple of questions there, so HTX is licensed. Um, you can go for a separate license. I know for partners and stuff, you can do it on a per VM basis as well. But it's normally licensed, I've seen with people who get NSX Enterprise Plus licensing, because they get HTX bundled in without free, that same license key is used. For the more advanced features, you've got enterprise licensing, which is licensed per socket at the destination, if I recall. Right, so there, you, there are your licensing models there. I don't know, Chris, if you know of any other licensing models? Uh, no, there's, there's quite a few of them. I was just typing in there that we'd get a document for, for Mike uh, because there are a number of different licensing options you can go for. Okay, yeah. So, Mike, you've also mentioned about the cutover. So, if you do a bulk migration, you can just, if you don't specify over a cutover time, it'll cut over as soon as it can. Right? So, if you want to do it right now, so you want to replicate and then have it cut over ASAP, it'll do that right then and there, okay? Obviously, you can set that for some, and then you can have some that cut over at a later date. Flexibility is yours, right? For vMotion as well, you can't specify a cut over. It'll just do it as quickly as it can do it and finish as quickly as it can finish. So I think that is everything to be fair. Let's just wait for it. See, yeah, migration finished. As you can see here now, it's appended the VM with the time here. Now it looks like a gibberish set of numbers, well, if you go to this one of these units time converters, I'm looking there. I'm hoping that it will update. There you go. So in my time zone, we migrated this at 1942, right? So you kind of have a bit of an audit trail there, right? 
the VM is disconnected from the network, it no longer has a network or anything, but it's there if you ever need it, ever again, right? And as you can see now, they're up and running here. That's fine. See, so you see a lot of people that do. Can I change the, yes, absolutely, you can change the cutover date whenever you want. As I, as I said, normally you set the cutover date 10 days in advance, even though you, the actual cutover you want to do is five days in advance. And then you can go in there and say, oh, okay, I want to adjust that now, and you can adjust it. You can adjust it as much as you want, right? Because, you know, change windows, you know, might get revoked, all this type of stuff. So that flexibility has to be there, and you can change it as and when you need to. You can bring it forward, make it immediate, delay it even further. But even when you do all that delaying, it's still going to keep syncing in the background for you. So when you're ready to go, it's ready to go as well. Okay. You just and have to cater for that syncing bandwidth, right? Yeah, that's the thing. So the overall initial thing, sync, like the vSphere application has been quite a lot, but then it's just deltas after that, right? So you just got to make sure and monitor that bandwidth because while that application is going, there's going to be additional load on that link, right? So I think that's about it, Chris, right? Shall I hand back over to you? Okay. Yeah. One more question there. So v, yeah, so vMotion is obviously vMotion, but bulk migration is VC replication. All the pros and cons that come with VC replication are, are part and parcel with HTX as well. So you can't migrate physical RDNs, but virtual ones you can do, it'll change them over to VMDK as a destination. Before you hand over, I have one question for you. If when the release cycles are every two weeks, when you upgrade, are there any down, is there any downtime? Uh, so it depends on your definition of downtime, right? So when you do an upgrade, you can't have anything running, you can't have any migrations running, any syncs running, anything pending, right? Because the managers are going to reboot and everything, and you're going to lose your manager on plane. And then after that, after you've upgraded your managers, then you have to upgrade your, your appliances, your, your service mesh. And if you have a layer two stretch open at that time, bear in mind that you're going to lose connectivity in that layer two stretch while that appliance is redeployed. So that's something to bear in mind, which is why I recommend that you don't keep stretches open for any longer than you need to because there's an inherent risk there. And it's going to limit your upgrading. And if you're forced to not upgrade because that stretch is open, then you're kind of going to end yourself in quite of an unsupported state if you leave it too long, right? So these are the nuances and the design that you have to be aware of. And there we go. Let me stop my sharing. Okay, and just to end it, we've got a couple of useful links. Obviously, you have the the main site for the official documentation, which is cloudvmware.com at vmwarehcx. There are some hands-on labs for HCX, so if you want to get get into the nitty-gritty and have a little play around with it yourself and you haven't got that kind of resource that we spoke about, Hands-On Labs is a great place to do that. Bilal and I have a number of HCX blogs on vmusketeers.com. I have to say probably mainly Bilal, but uh, Nico Vibert is uh, another one that's done some work on HCX. as a nifty little write-up uh, of him migrating some VMs to VMC. There's a nice video with that, with that failover as well. And Gabe, who is a product manager for HCX, is at hcx.design, and that's got some really cool content on there as well. Chris, there's a question that I think you'll be able to answer. There's a question, is there? Okay. Is there anything geared towards cloud providers? So you mean, I assume you mean private cloud providers? Uh, if so, Yes, kind of. 
Um, so migrating from that legacy to the new clouds. Uh, yes, so we can onboard a lot of uh, external customers onto our our private cloud using HCX. That's one of the use cases um, we've had. Um, so, and that's something, and we can also obviously migrate them to, to VMC for a, a managed service. So does that for cloud providers? Yeah, and there's does that to VCD as well, doesn't it, Cloud Director? So, yeah, so we use we use VCD. So when we migrate customers from, let's say, their legacy data centers, their legacy tin, and they just want to get rid of it, but they still want that private cloud feeling, then we migrate them onto to our vCloud director. So uh, Mike did ask a question if vCloud director was supported at both sides. It is supported at the destination side, and I think there's ongoing work to support it at the source side. So at the moment, it's kind of vCenter to vCloud director can be done, but you can't do vCloud to vCloud. Right, I think that's it. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, thanks for for turning up. Nice crowd. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you, guys. Uh, super interesting. I think that was quite nice to see the live migration just in a couple of minutes. So quite interesting, quite interesting just having the HCX and just migrating between the centers in just, I mean, well, you, you must configure and so, but I mean, it's super nice for, as you said, uh, legacy customers that have legacy data centers or just sites uh, migrated quite easily to the cloud. So quite nice. Uh, thank you guys uh, for attending. And also thank you, Bilal and Chris, for your presentation. Seriously. Thank you so much. From pleasure. And that's all. Uh, I will put this in YouTube in a couple of days. Uh, today's Tuesday, maybe on Friday, or if not, in the next week. So. With that, that's all, and thank you all for attending.